Our sermon text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may too be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. So today we're looking at this uh, topic of Timothy and Epaphrodites, two examples to follow. And sometimes we, we um, misunderstand, I think, when Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I've, I've heard people say, well, we're not to follow each other, and that's not right to, to live a life of an example or try to be that. Only Christ is the one we should look to. And yet the, the Bible is explicit, and it's, it's, it's full of examples of people being examples <laughs> Of what it means. God gives us, in his grace, Christians that are uh, further along in their walk and living faithfully for us to look to and then emulate them as they follow Christ. Of course, Christ is the foremost in our vision. He is the first and the last, right? We are looking to him first and foremost, but as those ahead of us who are also looking to him, we can emulate. And he tells us that. And we see, we see this in, in, their, in our passage today, just two examples of Christians that I think we would be well to follow. And then we're going to talk about the idea of being an example, because that's really the uh, unspoken truth in all of the scriptures for Christians. We are to strive to be an example that others can, can follow as well. So let's just jump in here. Verse 19, Paul said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I, uh, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. Now, we understand what's going on here. Paul's in a prison in Rome, waiting his trial for preaching the gospel. And this church he's writing to is the church of Philippi. And it's about 800 miles away as he's in Rome, and, and there's Philippi. Uh, and he's writing a letter, obviously, to them to encourage them. And he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Timothy is a co-worker. As a matter of fact, 10 years earlier from this moment that Paul's writing this letter, 10 years earlier, Timothy, Silas, and uh, Paul... They began that church in Philippi. They founded that church. And so they love the people there, right? It's been 10 years later. Paul's now in jail, and he's writing them to encourage them, but also to hear about them. And he's telling them, I'm going to send you Timothy. Now, look how he commends Timothy to these people. They, they, they know him, at least the original people. The church had grown over the years, uh, obviously, from that small, meager beginning of three people that we remember seeing in the book of Acts as they met by a river to pray. And yet now, 10 years later, it's a thriving church, one that Paul loved very dearly. You can tell out of all of his letters, he loved 
the church at, at Philippi. But notice what he says about Timothy in verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And, of course, that was Paul's optimistic view that God would deliver him from that um, prison and he could ultimately be there. But in his stead, while he can't be there, he wants to send him Timothy. And, wow, the commendation he gives to Timothy. Notice these four things he says. Number one, I have no one like him. And that word in the Greek, that word for like him, um, is, the, is literally where we get our word psychology from. It's like-minded, was what Paul's saying here. I have no one like-minded like him. You see, Paul's mind was what? He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, to think of others as more important than yourself, to lay down your life humbly for other people. That was the mindset of Paul, right? And therefore, Timothy's, because Paul said, Timothy is like-minded. Timothy has the same mindset that I do. And there's nobody else like him that's, that's around me that, that I can send to you that would have this, this mindset. And then number two, he genuinely cared for the people. He said, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So he literally lived out what believers should be living out. And that's what Paul's whole passage has been about this, these last few weeks. As Paul has told us, what does it mean to be sanctified? What does it mean to live out your faith, to live out your salvation? It means that you're serving other people. It means that you're humble. It means that you think of others as more significant than yourself. And you lay yourself down for the glory of Christ in serving each other. And then number three, he said, he sought the things of Christ. That's what he said about Timothy. He seeks the things of Christ. He said, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Who's Paul speaking of here? I believe he's speaking of other servants quote, of Christ that he has worked with and partnered with. And they've ended up forsaking Paul, uh, returning to their own desires or, or uh, doing Paul wrong or dirty, so to speak, turning on Paul. Um, misrepresenting Paul for their own good, building their ministry reputations on Paul's demise, making him look bad so that they look good. And Paul has had that over and over in ministry where he had somebody with him and thought, here's a partner, here's somebody who will be like a son, and that son turns. And, and that's the next thing that goes hand in hand. He said, number four, he's like a son to me. This man, this Timothy, he's like my son. And, and, and that meant that Timothy loved Paul like he would love his father, he was also loyal to Paul. He was also a partner working side by side with Paul. He learned from Paul. And he, he wasn't like these others who would say, no, I'm going to somehow begin to undercut Paul so that I can build my own ministry. And, and it does happen. I, I'm saying as, a, as you read this, just from a pastor's point of view, and not just pastor, I think it's hard to find an apprentice in any, any field. It's hard to find a son that would come under and, and learn in the ministry. It's hard. Uh, as an engineer, it would be hard to find a good uh, apprentice or son in the field who would submit and would learn and, and yes, give feedback, but also just, just continually be faithful and not begin to think of their own selves. And it, and, it, and it does happen. It's very hurtful. I remember a guy that I trained up years ago in, in, a, in a place, and he was like a son to me. I led him to Christ when I was a youth pastor in a little church in a small town in Indiana. And 
man, it was wonderful. And six years later, I'm, I find myself as an assistant pastor at a church, and I am instrumental in hiring this guy. We get back in contact. He's still serving the Lord, and I, I, I bring him in as a youth pastor, and, and um, you know, we worked for a while, and I'm thinking, this is wonderful. I'm investing in him and, and, and trust him, and I want to see him thrive in ministry. And then as uh, years went by, um, he began to slowly um, turn in some ways. And, and, and I don't want to go into great detail here, but he, he literally at some point began to undercut my ministry to build his own. And when I was called to leave, I warned the pastor and said, I think I, there's potential, but I think there's some, some weariness here because they were going to make him my old spot as I left to pastor a church in Michigan. Needless to say, a few years later, I get a call from the pastor with an apology saying, you're absolutely right. He was self-serving. We caught him in, in things that were wrong and this and that. So, but it's hurtful, is what I'm saying, right? No matter what business you're in or what part of life you're in, it's hard to find somebody who you have this relationship with where you feel like, hey, that's my daughter in the faith. Hey, that's my son in, in, in the faith or my, my, my uh, protege, and we're working together. And yet Paul celebrated that with Timothy. He said, this is my son in the ministry. And that's what I feel like. So that's why Paul felt so good about sending Timothy, because it was just like sending himself. Because Timothy would do what Paul would do. Timothy would think the way Paul would think. Timothy would love these people the way Paul loved those people. And he would give himself up for those people the way Paul would give himself up for those people. So that, that's a beautiful picture of, of a man who is serving God. And, and again, something that I think we can emulate or should strive to, to emulate. But now look quickly at this next one, and that is Epaphrodites, verse 25. Paul goes on to say, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you uh, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, to you, uh, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. So listen to this, as the Holy Spirit inspired this to be written by Paul, concerning another servant of God. Paul says, honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, if we remember what happened here, Epaphrodites, who was saved, came to know Christ in the church that Paul originally planted. So Paul, in a sense, Epaphrodites is the very fruit of his ministry. We don't know how many years after the church was planted that Epaphrodites came to it and came to Christ, but now he's a faithful servant. And, and what happens, what Paul says at the last part of that verse when he says that, that Epaphrodites is completing what is lacking in your service to me, the church of Philippi loves Paul. Paul is now in prison. They want to help him. They love him, right? And so what can they do? Well, they can take an offering, and that's what they did. They took an offering. They took a, a, a collection of supplies and things that would help him. And they put that care package together. And then what else could they do? They could appoint somebody to take it to Paul. And they did that. And that was Epaphrodites and maybe some other men that traveled. But he was the one responsible to take that. And also, I believe they gave him the responsibility of caring for Paul long term. I think that was part of the plan. Like, you stay with Paul while he's in prison. You care for his needs. Uh, you, you be a, a, a kind of a right hand to him and help him out. So that was a, that's what they could do. But they couldn't. That's all they could do is appoint him take the offering and appoint him, the church couldn't go any further. 
Epaphrodites was serving Paul on their behalf. That's what Paul is saying. He fulfilled what they lacked in. Their lacking was they couldn't be there. But Epaphrodites could, and he risked his life to fulfill that mission, to fulfill that ministry to Paul. And, and, and ultimately, he was serving his Lord. That's why we love each other in the church. That's why we lay ourselves down for each other. That's why we encourage each other weekly. That's why we encourage each other in our home groups and core groups. That's why we call each other on the phone during the week to encourage each other with Scripture. We're laying our lives down for each other in our service to our King. And I love the terms. Look at, look at the, the fellowship that builds. He said, I'm sending him, Epaphrodites, who's my brother, we, we understand that. Even from the Lord's Prayer, we understand that Jesus intended his people to be family. Our Father who art in heaven. Not just my Father, but when we pray, Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father. Why? We're part of a family. And we're brothers and sisters. So Paul says he's my brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a co-worker. And the, and the Christian life calls for what? Work. We are to work out our salvation. We're to do what God commands us. So a fellow worker and also a fellow soldier, because it's not easy. It is a battle. The Bible's plain about that. There's a warfare going on. There's an enemy that hates God, hates his morals, hates his standards, his will, and there's a real battle. So we are fellow soldiers together. And look what he, again, he just explains this man, and it is encouraging for us, should be. The Spirit uses this to encourage us. Our brothers and sisters who have fought the battle of well and gone on before us, that great cloud of witnesses that have kept the faith, they've fought the fight, they should encourage us. And Epaphrodites is, is one of my heroes because Paul says three times in this section that he almost died doing the work that Christ called him to do. Three times. Look, let's notice this in part, verses 29 and 30 again. Philippians 2, 29 and 30. He says, so receive him. In the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. So again, that is a biblical reminder to us that the work of Christ is serving each other, loving each other, meeting each other's needs. He risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So risking his life, gave, nearly died, all those things mentioned. So honor such men Follow such men. Imitate such men. Live like that, is what Paul is saying and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And so here's, you know, I know, again, though we're commanded, obviously, to keep our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, faith first and foremost, and, it, and when, when any of our people who we are looking to in the faith and trusting and saying, wow, that, that guy, he's living for Christ. That lady, man, she is faithful to God. I want to be like that. But when we see them peel away, we're looking to Christ and we see it. When they go that way, we keep going. And, and God gives us another uh, uh, mom and dad in the faith to look to and, and kind of emulate our older brother or sister that's living. But that's, that's what he's saying here. These are, these are what we should be doing. Look at these examples. They can encourage us. They can convict us regarding how we're living or how we're not living. How we're running or how we're not running for Christ. You see that? That's, that's what the church is about. I mean, it's easy for us, I guess, to say, well, I feel like I'm living for Christ. <laughs> you know, if you ask the average Christian, what are they going to say? Oh, yeah, I, I'm living for Christ, right? I mean, what's your example? What's your example of living for Christ? 
What are you comparing that to, 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 to be so confident? Yeah, I'm living for Christ. I mean, are we comparing to the majority of professing Christians who go to church maybe once a month and tip God with a 20 on their way out and then live their life the way they want? Is that what we're comparing ourselves to? I mean, what, what about comparing ourselves to Christ and those who have followed him faithfully and we're all in? That, that's really what Christ calls us to, right? To, to be all in. And I'm not talking about some of the campaigns that some churches have about baptism. Be all in. And that you're all in if you're baptized, right? And that's it. No, that's just the beginning. That's just you becoming a participant in the race. I mean, identifying as a participant, right? You're saying, all right, I'm a participant in this race. The race has to be run now. <laughs> so that's a good start. But all in means that when I profess to know Christ, I am his lock, stock, and barrel. And you can find out what that means. But I have heard all my life, right? It means all in. I'm all in. Paul and Timothy, Epaphrodites, these guys were all in. And, and we should look to them. He said, well, yeah, but those guys, are, they're, in the, they're, they're you know, apostles and, and, and those guys in the New Testament. That's different. No fair, man. Uh, okay, so, okay, I, I disagree because they're humans just like us. But let's just come, come closer then. Let's look at Christians closer to our time. Let's talk about John and Betty Stram. What about emulating their life? Who are they? They were martyred in 1934 by the, in China by the communists. This young missionary couple graduated from Moody Institute. They were parents of a young child, and, and, and they go on the mission field. They were seized by the communists and marched across China in what came to be known as the Long March. When they arrived in a small town, their captors began discussing amongst themselves how they would take the child, put it on the end of a bayonet, and roast it over an open fire. When an older man in the city had overheard them, he came and began to say, the child has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. Let him go. Let him live. To which the soldiers turned and said, his life for your life? And he immediately said, yes. And they immediately beheaded him. And then they <laughs> turn toward the parents and proceed to execute them when a man named Mr. Chang, according to the witnesses that saw this, Mr. Chang, who, was, who sold medicine in that town, who was a nominal Christian, very unknown. I mean, it wasn't known of him to be vocal for his faith. Never. He was just a Christian by name only. And yet something happened in his heart at that moment. He stands up, approaches the soldiers, and begins to plead for the life of these missionaries. They push him away several times. He keeps coming back, pleading for the life of these missionaries. They finally say, are you a Christian also? And he boldly says, yes, knowing the consequences, yes. They drag him off to be butchered. And as they are, according to witnesses, at this point, the, the, the missionaries, John and Betty, with their faces shining, it says, began to pray an intercessory prayer for Mr. Chang, that he will have strength. <laughs> so they're, they're in this moment, right? But what, what are their hearts saying? Lord, Bless my brother. Give him strength. And as they're praying, they're both beheaded. I, I guess, are, 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 are we really living a life that can be an example of what it means to be all in for Christ? I mean, are you willing to risk your life to serve and worship with other believers? 
We've had a whole year and a half to see that, and the church has failed dramatically. I'll leave that where that's at. But to profess to be a Christian means to denounce ownership of your life. That's it. To say, what it means is my life is now bound in Christ. He is my life. His people are my people. There is nothing else to live for in this world. My priority is to worship with those people, to build up those people, to encourage those people, to live with those people. And I guess literally, if we can't do that, then we don't want to live. Should be our heart. Because there is no life for the Christian outside of Christ. This is what we see. This is what we see in, in, in the Bible. This is why I have been so broken by this message this week myself. I, I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. Do you? Let us pray by God's grace that we emulate those who have gone before us who were all in by the grace of God transformed transformed from the darkness of uh, the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light you you can't be that you can't be transformed by the grace of God and live the same to profess Christ means to denounce ownership of our life first corinthians 6 19 through 20 reinforces this it says or do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god you are not your own you were bought with a price so glorify god with your body and that's our call we're to glorify god with our body not us i mean please understand what, what the bible is saying Christianity encompasses not just a facet of your life, but the entirety of your life. That's the call. That's what it is. That's what our brothers and sisters have known around the world for years. We, again, I, I am thankful for the country I live in, but we have been spoiled. Again, to think that persecution is not getting a front parking lot at Shillitoe's. That shows how old that example is. But it's a... It, we, we, don't, we have no idea what it means to suffer for the name of Christ. And it's not just about being on a mission field, having your head cut off or being burnt at the stake. It's about laying down your life for each other now. Giving up your time to serve somebody else. Giving up our funds to support missions around the world and locally. Living for each other. That's that is a sacrifice. Our sacrifice to God is dying to myself so that I can live for you and, and vice versa. We live intentionally knowing that we have been called to serve the king and further his kingdom at all costs to my personal life and even my well-being. That's what the disciples of the New Testament knew the call was. That's why broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. And based on that, we have a holy calling, right? We are God's holy nation. If we are in Christ, if we're believers, we're no longer citizens of earth, but we're citizens of heaven. And we're in this world to build his kingdom. 
right? So, so we have this wonderful holy calling uh, upon our lives. I mean, mine happens to be to be a pastor, a preacher, right? But that's no more significant than your calling. I know sometimes we build that, oh, the, the, the call to the ministry is the ultimate. You're not really serving Jesus if you're not called. It just happens to be where God gifted and placed me, but it's no more significant in the kingdom of God, in the building of his kingdom, and fulfilling of his will. I mean, folks, I mean, we all have a vocation or a calling that God's given us. He gives us certain ways, and he calls us, and the calling is not even so much what you're doing, but where God placed you at the time. So wherever you are, whatever vocation we're in, we are called by God, and it is a holy calling. I mean, Alex Faulkner has a calling to be an engineer. Ian Lubers has a calling to be a, a school teacher, right? I mean, uh, Audrey Kloos has a calling to be a nurse. Some are called to work at McDonald's. Some are called to be a lawyer. Some are called to drive a truck. Some are called to be a doctor. But all of those are calling. If you're a believer in Christ, that is your holy vocation. And you're placed there by God intentionally to build his kingdom. Just as significant as the call to preach, maybe more so in the sense that people expect me to get up and talk about Jesus. They don't expect that so much where you're at. And yet you have this holy vocation, this opportunity to proclaim the glorious gospel and to be a minister to people with the gospel to people who would not walk into a church possibly. So let's understand who we are again. Believers called by God, a holy priesthood, right? A kingdom of his people empowered by his spirit placed where he puts us for his sovereign purpose and empowered by his Holy Spirit. So let's begin to live, right? Live with this heart to influence each other, to, to, to live a life where people look at me and they can, they can emulate it. I mean, the application, here it is. I mean, sheesh. We've got to ask God for the grace to live as examples. I think that should be our mindset as well. When we get out of bed, not just, Lord, help me feel good about loving you, and thank you for the encouraging verse of the day, and now I feel good about con conquering my life for today. No, let us realize it's more than thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your, your grace and your provision and your mercy and health and so forth. Thank you for those things, but, but Lord, give me the grace to have the mindset that I am an example, that I want people to watch me so that they know, they know what it means to love you. Commit to live your life in such a way that someone can imitate it. Then go find somebody to invest in. <laughs> then go find somebody, right, to disciple. Uh, that's, that's what the church does. I love Titus 2, 2 through 15. Just very, very quickly here, let's, let's look at that. It gives us a snapshot of what a church looks like when it's doing this, right, when we're living to be imitated by each other and living to, to show what it means to follow Christ. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior and not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And there are many in our country right now that would hear this in our culture and revile what was just said there. 
And yet it's the Word of God, and one of our sins is we haven't been proclaiming or even, again, emulating the Word of God. Verse 6, likewise, likewise, by the way, in the Greek, goes back to the second group. You've got the women, training the women, and you've got the older men who were called to be sober. Now, likewise, older men, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. These are huge, heavy shoes to fill. And yet God calls us to that. You see, again, Christians were called not just to be saved from hell. God didn't just redeem us for that. He redeemed us to fulfill the good works he purposed for us to do. And that is to build each other up. That's why Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Instead, encourage each other to love and to good works. How do we do that? By consciously and intentionally realizing that my life is being watched by somebody. Is it causing them to love Christ and walk close to him? Or is it causing them to walk farther from him? Basically, what that verse is showing us, this great model in the church, is, is this generational discipling, right? This, this family type of a model. Moms and, and grandparents and, and brothers and sisters and siblings. And, 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 and basically, if you're a grandparent or a grandma, find a, a married couple with maybe some older kids and, and invest in them, right? If you've uh, uh, been married for a while, and, and, and then find some newlyweds. <laughs> if you're a young adult, you know, hanging out, find a college age person. If you're a college age person, find a high school age person. If you're a high school age person, look for a middle schooler. If you're a middle schooler, hold a baby. But I'm just saying, you know, the, I, the point is though, this is the picture of what it means to live out our faith, to work at our salvation, and to be this person who says, you know what, I'm looking at those who've gone before. These great heroes of the faith, those who the gospel has changed and their life is no longer theirs. They've laid it down completely. They died to self. And all that matters is this ministry to each other. And I want to be like that. And then we begin to be like that. And you know what? Somebody else is watching us. Yeah, I want to be like that. And that's glorifying our Father. So in conclusion, very quickly, just, just a question I guess I can ask all of us. Understanding that we must show grace. <laughs> Understanding we must show grace to one another because knowing that our our, our wills and our desires fluctuate right our level of contentment fluctuates but still nonetheless answer this question if others were to imitate my life would they be walking closer to or farther from jesus